It's only entertainment. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Scott Daly. He is the Chief Revenue Officer of Simplifya.com. Scott, thanks for being with us at, at the, the Talking Hedge. Great to be here, Josh. Great to be with you. Appreciate it. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into the cannabis industry, and then, uh, of course, what is Simplify? Happy to. Well, you know, it was, uh, I, I've been in technology most all of my career. Uh, doing, started in sales, been in operations. I have worked with computer services, uh, computer hardware, uh, most all my life. Either working in larger companies where uh, culturally turn things around, grow the business, optimize operations, and so forth. But in the last several years, I've been involved with smaller startup companies and really helping them get off the ground, uh, develop the go-to-market strategy, uh, and then execute the same uh, to be able to help them uh, put the infrastructure and foundation in place so that they could sustain a scalable growth model. And uh, I, uh, in 2017, I got into cannabis because I was contacted by a recruiter that talked to me about a SaaS software company that needed to rebuild a sales team and help them launch a new product um, and uh, so I was introduced to MJ Freeway, which is now a Kerna. And uh, that, then when I found out it was the cannabis industry, it was kind of intriguing to me because uh, a new frontier, uh, is certainly an exciting growing uh, industry to be involved in. So I joined the uh, uh, MJ Freeway team as the head of sales uh, in January of 2017. Uh, and then it just, of course, if, if we... I'm sorry, if we re rewind the clock, uh, we remember that in January 2017, there was that data hack uh, in the industry that MJ Freeway suffered um, a little bit uh, on their version one software. So when I came in, I, I helped kind of regroup everybody and help uh, work with the current clients, help them launch the version two software, which is the MJ platform uh, and help them build a sales team um, and uh, really enjoyed what I have been doing uh, quite some time is helping small companies really stage for growth. You know, my impressions when I first got into cannabis was, uh, my first impression was that it really lacked the sophistication, the technology and the infrastructure that I'd been used to in most of my background. So when you get involved, uh, you start looking at support desks. Do people answer the phone when they have a question? So uh, during the time in the build at MJ Freeway, we helped build a level one, level two support desk that really differentiated ourselves and helped us be able to uh, uh, really grow the business because we've got the back end support, which means you keep your customers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of fun, great challenge, great people uh, at Akerna. Uh, we, we went public with uh, Akerna and NASDAQ, as you're, as you're aware, in June of 2019. And then as we exited 2019, I, um, I had a chance to meet Marion and his team at Simplifya, and uh, they really uh, look forward to having me come and help them do the same. And that is to help them build and uh, the foundation and grow uh, Simplifya, which is our compliance platform. So did I just see that you guys had a Series B round, funding round at $6 million? Yes, we did. We, uh, we were chasing that for a few months and got that closed in April. Uh, and that kind of goes in conjunction with several things. That's going to help us expand our footprint across the U.S., Josh, 
Uh, it's also helping us really start to ramp up, as you may have seen in some press releases, about tender and the payment platform that we're going to be launching uh, in late Q3, Q4 of this year. And I can touch on a little bit of that as well. But uh, it really, I think, shows the confidence that over the course of 2020, in spite of COVID, we were able to more than double our client base, double our revenues, uh, and uh, all the key metrics were certainly in the positive direction, which really attracted that attention. So let's dive into uh, the pandemic and, and what it did. So you're a compliance software company. You obviously noticed, like a lot of us, that there weren't a lot of you know sophisticated um, tools available. Whether that's you know um, the whether that's an individual or whether that's uh, your actual standard operating procedures, there just wasn't a lot of of talent um, in the early days. And so there's been compliance and even the compliance software has had its its hiccups and issues, which we'll definitely dive into because MJ Freeway was not a perfect rollout. And in Washington State, we still have a broken system. We haven't had access to a reliable system in about, I think, four years now. but let's, let's first talk about the pandemic, and then maybe we can go back in time further than that. <laughs> With the pandemic, how, had, how did that impact your business? You were able to have a 2x increase in revenues. Kind of walk us through while everyone was collapsing and yet cannabis was essential business. How did that help you guys on your bottom line? Well, you know, it, it had its challenges, but I think we, we took advantage of uh, the opportunities we had. I mean, you know, when, when the world shut down in 2020, cannabis is very much a trade show, uh, face-to-face type of relationship-driven uh, events. MJ BizCon is being the, the biggest of all, right? And everything was cleaned off the slate. So it really took a lot on our part to really start working with a lot of what we focus on are the multi-verticals and the multi-state operators because the complexity of their models, it makes it very hard for them to stay uh, up and aware of just the constant changes that go on. I mean, if you come out of, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, In January of this year, there are over 3,000 pages of regulation changes just in three states, California, Colorado, and Massachusetts, uh, that uh, we had to stay in front of and make sure that uh, we provided that to our client base. But when you have that kind of change, which is the only constant, um, it was our conversations with, with clients to help them really understand that uh, there is a cost of compliance, a bigger cost of non-compliance. So investing in your business so that you have a culture of compliance across your business, there's an awareness and accountability in whatever role you're in that you impact that uh, compliance nature of that business really hit home. And I think that was really struck a chord with a lot of clients that understood that there's an investment you make in compliance uh, to protect yourself. From your experience in the industry, are companies ready for compliance? Um, you know, I've, I've worked with publicly traded companies and it's always kind of surprising that they're just kind of winging it, it seems like. And then with cannabis, it's even worse because they're unaware that there's compliance and they don't seem to care. Um, so I'm curious about, you know, your experience with compliance and um, maybe you can kind of unpack that and how it's developed over the years. Well, you know, you got to separate the different types of compliance, too. You mentioned uh, a bit ago about Washington State. 
and about this, the track and trace software, which metric has got the dominant state presence uh, for uh, track and trace. You know, that's your supply chain and uh, type of compliance that's required for you to report everything from the harvest all the way through the distribution. Our compliance is really the back office. It's really the back room when you have regulatory and operational compliance. So whereas you have to have integration and compliance reporting to metric, to leaf data systems, to biotrack, um, they didn't feel it was as important when you had operational regulatory compliance. So we had to really separate the two of those, but um, there, there was, it was a challenge up front because there were a lot of states that really didn't hold their licensees accountable. Uh, you know, the, why, you know, Oregon was an example of where there's, there was not a lot of oversight. There was not a lot of proactive uh, inspection by the state. So therefore there was a lack of urgency on the license operators part. But more and more that's really changed. Uh, as federal gets closer, uh, states are starting to consolidate their cannabis agencies. Uh, Nevada's on their third one. Uh, California went from three to one. Uh, so there's going to be much more uh, oversight to compliance. And I think that's creating the awareness that uh, they really need to make sure they understand uh, their business operations, their standard operating procedures, and just how their day-to-day -day business is run. I did a podcast uh, this morning on direct sales in California and how that's going to impact investors spending, you know, this use Phoenix, as an example of $25 million for a retail license there. Um, is that compliant selling uh, for brands and producers to sell directly to consumers in California, bypassing retailers? Is that compliant? It depends on what kind of license you have. I mean, you've got distribution licenses, you can wholesale to retail, you've got delivery licenses, but really, um, it's not compliant to not be selling through uh, a retail outlet that has a consumer facing license unless uh, you're licensed to do that. So what is, what is the cost of compliance? Cause it doesn't seem compliant to me. It seems like people are probably not paying attention and, or don't care. Um, so the cost of compliance, there's a couple of different factors. You can kind of approach that either public or non-public. I think for a lot of cannabis companies trying to go public, most of them, well, many of them maybe don't understand just how important it is. Um, you know, when I work for a company that's now uh, absorbed by E-Trade, there was one compliance person when I started there. When I left, there was a team of a dozen because initially they didn't respect nor understand the importance of it. So when that gal quit in protest of just being the only person, they're like, oh, maybe that's important. And let's go ahead and hire a dozen people to replace her. So the cost of compliance, is it worth it? It absolutely is worth it because, you know, with all the licensed operators that are in the cannabis industry across the U.S., um, it's, uh, you are in the cannabis business, but you're in the compliance business because if you're not compliant, you're not in business. So what is the cost of losing your license? Hmm. Right. Uh, what did, uh, and that could be said anyway, even all the way through the supply chain. We have a product that we also provide uh, uh, distributors and wholesalers and even insurance companies and financial institutions calling, called uh, Simplify a Verified. If I'm a licensed grower and I'm selling to an unlicensed retailer, I'm illicit. The whole supply chain has to be 
applying all the way through. So you've got to be able to know who you're buying from, who you're selling to, and you've got to be able to manage that because you've got to protect your business. The cost of compliance is the cost of your business. Is there any correlation between some of the turnover that we're seeing and some of the lack of compliance? Is it just that some of these small business owners don't really understand how to retain top employees is kind of the great resignation is, is taking focus in the country, but bud tender turnover isn't anything new. Lack of compliance, probably nothing new either. Is there some overlap there with just the a lack of understanding overworked um, don't care? Like, what is the, in your opinion, and I'm asking just kind of throwing it out there, why is there such a, a high turnover and um, maybe lack of understanding when it comes to compliance in the cannabis industry? I noticed that coming in. Uh, when I've been in other industries, you always like to try to keep your turnover low, sub 20%, sub 15%. And cannabis turnover is extremely high. And But it's really more, and I'm not going to call any role non-skilled, but it's the lower levels, the front end of the business, which, by the way, is what your exposure is, is with what tenders right? The bud tenders and the, and the growers and things like that. Um, but turnover has been high. And I think the way that you keep any employee that I've found that I've always focused on anytime I go into a company, it's all about culture, transparency, uh, empowerment, and a sense of ownership. And if you empower people and you help give them more reason to their role and, uh, and, and the value in it, I believe they have a sense of ownership and I think you can drive turnover down. That's my personal opinion. And I think that's why you've got to be able not just to say that it's going to be the general manager of the retail store or the head grower of the cultivation that's responsible and is aware of what the rules and regs are and what all the citations mean. Uh, but if everybody understands that role more deeply, the culture of compliance gives everybody a sense that they belong to that business. So they, they don't just get told to do because they don't understand why. And I think that's just standard um, human resource employee management, personally. You mentioned when I asked you about um, the Series B and the funding round, you were going to use the proceeds for, for expanding. So as you're kind of going through that right now at Simplify, I'm wondering if you hopped in a time machine and you went back to like 2017, what advice would you give to companies now going through this similar process? Um, I know it even holds true with the East Coast and the emerging markets, but going back in time to 2017, what would you tell yourself or um, somebody going through the similar process? Well, I, I think we were ahead of our time in 2017 when Simplifya really came on the job scene uh, with compliance, because I don't think it was a top of mind topic at all. Again, states were not being held accountable. Uh, I think what you've seen now uh, is that uh, you're seeing the new legacy or the new emerging states are really doing it differently. Uh, Oklahoma's been kind of an interesting model, uh, the way they've, I think, drastically over-licensed. But otherwise, you see models like Michigan and Missouri are rolling it out slowly, sometimes in cases too slow, but they're trying to make sure they stay in front of uh, who they bring on, how they get into the commencement and get go, go live and so forth. So I think Looking back, I think a lot of people came to market and came to business without the accountability uh, of, of what they were supposed to be uh, managing in their business. And the states never held anybody accountable on oversight in many ways. Washington, the legacy states, Washington, Oregon, California, all are, are struggling with this. 
you mentioned Oklahoma, twice as many licenses as Oregon, and we saw what happened with all of that excess. Um, and maybe that's that at the fault of the regulatory agencies for giving too many, maybe a lack of due diligence on, on their part. What is the cost of the lack of compliance? To, a, to the person, to the owner, the cost is their livelihood, right? Their loss of savings uh, and everything. In Oklahoma, the bar was so low to get in that they, uh, they over-licensed. And uh, you have a lot of people that I had talked to when I was uh, uh, at MJ Freeway. It was interesting. In 2019, we sold more subscriptions in Oklahoma than California. Uh, and it was a lot of companies that, uh, but they didn't last because they came into the market without a plan, without the resources and the wherewithal and, and the knowledge. So I think the cost of compliance, uh, the, the, the cost of compliance is if you're not compliant, you lose your business. Uh, I think it hurts the industry uh, when you have uh, failures in the business in many ways. So, uh, but I think the market has matured now where uh, compliance is top of mind. Uh, we work with so many multi-verticals and multi-states that we are a core part of their discipline and their culture because there's a regulation that's different state to state, county to county, city to city, uh, and it's virtually impossible to stay on top of all of that. So to your point, that's why you're starting to see C-level positions for compliance, directors of compliance, compliance teams that are coming on board because uh, I, I think now they really realize that it, it is wholly important to be able to optimize your business and be able to stay on the right side of the uh, legal track. Mm -hmm. And is that what you guys offer? I mean, is that one of your main or, or key revenue drivers is compliance and helping these companies remain in compliance? Yeah, Simplify a we have a SaaS subscription software platform that is an audit platform, Josh. And really it's got four key components um, and it helps operators that are coming into business to help them set up properly. And it helps uh, current established businesses to be able to manage other uh, businesses as they grow. And that is we have uh, a platform that's got SOPs, the standard operating procedures that are, that are templates that are specific to states. And uh, they provide references to all the best practices and how you should set up everything from advertising to waste when it comes to managing your business. Uh, it, allows, it allows you to customize those uh, to your own company needs, but it also gives you direct reference to all the citations that are out there that really um, that you have to be aware of. And what our subscription does is it lets you, every time there's a change in the state, like those thousand uh, changes in July, they're all applied back to um, the SOPs for the clients to be able to use those. But additionally, in addition to setting the core business up, we have an audit plat self-audit platform that allows you to be able to go through your business and do a check and balance. It's almost like uh, a cycle count inventory if you're managing your inventory system. You can do a full business audit. You can do a category audit of just a piece of your business but it's set up in a very straightforward yes, no questions that allow you to answer the questions and, uh, and let you know where you're compliant, where you're not, print out remediation reports so you can fix the deficiencies. And it allows you to assign these to specific employees 
almost as a performance manager training tool as well. So all the employees participate in overseeing the business. But not just do you have the SOPs and not just do you check and balance your business, but we've got a smart cabinet, which is a digital filing system. As we know, you, you can never throw anything away. You've got to file things. When you get inspected, you don't know what you're going to be asked for. Uh, the smart cabinet is set up specific to state requirements as to the documents they require you keep. So we have a digital filing system that allows you to take the SOPs, that lets you take copies of your licenses, that lets you take all the copies of your audits and digitally file them away so that you're prepared should somebody knock on your door. Mm. And the most recent piece that we added to the platform, which has been really valuable, is our license tracker. Uh, when It's very hard to get a license. And if it expires, it's very hard to get it renewed. Sometimes you go, after, go back uh, to the end of the line to have to reapply. But a license tracker gives our clients the ability to set a date 60 days before expiration to know when your license is coming up for renewal so that you can do the due diligence ahead of time to keep your license. Uh, you can do that and manage employee badges. If an employee badge expires and he's on your floor, you're non-compliant, right? Does that also work with uh, trademarks? I mean, it's as simple as putting in a calendar, but I know some people that have lost their trademark because it's an obscure, um, not obscure, but um, just a random day or, or, or seven years or whatever it is. It's something that isn't on people's top of their mind and then they lose their trademark. So is that something that you guys also offer is to, to keep? Or... Yes, Any, anything that expires, you can put into the license tracker and give you, and it'll give you a reminder or whatever days ahead of time you want so that you can do the due diligence and make sure you're in front of that. And these are for- We recently like uh, added a client in Southern California. Uh, they have five locations in their business, but they have over 360 licenses. Wow. So the license tracker alone took them off of spreadsheets and into a system that makes that much more manageable. And you said this is available for any, any state um, and is it also available for like a producer or a brand that, that processes and retailers? Is there any limitations? We work with everybody in the supply chain that's a licensed operator from your grower all the way through retail, delivery, distribution. What we don't do, uh, what we don't work with is testing labs. Hmm. But otherwise, everybody else in that supply chain, we have complete SOPs. We have all the audit capability. Um, and uh, we provide you not just state level content, but once we know your address and we know whether you're in inc incorporated uh, uh, Montbello, California or unincorporated Santa Barbara County, there's local jurisdiction content that our lawyers and our regulatory analysts do the research and add it to your uh, subscription so that you have all your bases covered. So at the at the beginning, you mentioned that you were focusing kind of on small businesses, but is this something that an IPO company could outsource? Do you have any uh, publicly traded clients? We do. Uh, some of our larger clients are some of the, uh, the top 10 names that you see in major enterprise. Um, and I can name drop a few that we work with today. Uh, we work with Columbia Care, Jushi, Cresco, uh, Ease. Uh, and Schwaze are probably some of our larger clients. And they all have multiple footprint, multiple vertical, multiple states, uh, and they see the complexity and the challenges. And they all have dedicated compliance leadership, compliance roles, uh, because it's a very, it's a very diversified uh, 
landscape and footprint that they're playing with. You also asked me, um, you know, what states do we cover? There's 34, 35 states that are currently cannabis legal right now. Uh, it's hard to keep up because they're falling like dominoes pretty fast right now, right? Um, but uh, we support today 21 states across the U.S. And our desire is to certainly expand that as our multi-state operators desire us to change and expand our footprint. Our goal is to cover all cannabis-related states, but nothing's more important than the trust in what we can provide our clients and the complexity of content, content research, content updates uh, with the teams that we have. Uh, we will not go wider into new states without our capability to support it and give 100% assurance that our content is golden. We are adding Delaware next week, which will be our 22nd state. We're lining up for West Virginia, uh, New Mexico and Maine are coming up shortly. So uh, we've got, and our major clients are moving us to these states because of their footprint is already there. Are uh, cannabis lounges or marijuana lounges on the list of things that you might be adding if or when they become a thing? I think it's going to be more of a win, but I think, yes, when we see a viable market of licensed operators that require um, compliance, compliance, uh, adherence, and so forth, I expect us to be there. Why not labs? Labs are, are, are a little tougher to, to get your hands around because they're so different with the states, uh, state to state. Uh, and it just hasn't been an area that has had the demand for us to, to go into. Um, you told me a little bit about, or you mentioned rather a tender a payment system right now, cannabis industry doesn't have banking available. Um, and that provides a, an amazing opportunity to, to provide that service. Um, that's obviously something you guys are looking into and, and participating in. We are, uh, we just, uh, announced Jeff Katz as a new member of our board of directors. And we announced that last week, uh, our earlier, uh, this week with a press release. Uh, and uh, Jeff comes from a history of payment processing systems with mercury payments and so forth. And uh, payments have always been a challenge in the cannabis industry. So what we're looking to bring to market and we're gonna be doing some beta testing here in the next, in the coming months is a payment processing system that'll work with the uh, POS systems that will simplify all of the payment processing and make it much easier or the financial institutions and everybody to engage. Hmm. So we expect more details to come out on that as, as we go. There's a lot of solutions now when you look ATM based, pin debit uh, based and so forth. But this, uh, this solution is gonna be based really a lot on the Starbucks uh, Dunkin' Donuts app for the consumers where it would be a much easier payment processing system. So we're excited about being able to bring that to market. Do you anticipate that that's going to be enough to retain those clients? Uh, I'm curious how you'll pivot to stay relevant when banking becomes legal, uh, if people will just revert to a traditional bank or whether they'll want to stay with you. If you already have compliance, that's definitely one way of, of anchoring them to you is having multiple accounts. How do you guys anticipate on, uh, on keeping that market share when banking is legalized? You mean from the payment side? Correct, yeah. I think that from the payments perspective, it's just gonna be a, a very simple and efficient 
uh, model to be able to uh, work with with the FIs. And we're already talking to some financial institutions uh, to really proof of concept that. But if you simplify, you simplify the payment processing, um, it's still going to be the vehicle to be able to process. Uh, it's going to be easier when the financial institutions kick in. Now, from the compliance standpoint, to your point, we're also uh, working and looking at working with the financial institutions and even some insurance companies, because uh, as more and more uh, institutions come into cannabis, there's going to be the need. Hub International is a very large insurer in the cannabis space. Mm. And you're going to see a lot more of, of the insurance companies coming in. You're going to see uh, the banks come in. So we're providing a compliance solution to banks and to insurance companies where we actually will provide them a state summary so that if they're gonna go into multi-states, they know what the landscape looks like. They know what the regulations are. They know how many med rec licenses there are, but they know the uniqueness of each particular market. Uh, and then we can help provide them remediation reports so that they can ensure that they are banking with or insuring compliant businesses. So. We see that as another extension of the compliance uh, opportunity for Simplifya to make sure everybody that's in the business uh, has got their biz own businesses covered as they make sure they're, they're not working with illicit uh, businesses themselves. It seems prime for disruption. I was a little shocked last month when I bought a car and four hours later, I was finally able to leave with it. The application process was so archaic that when I was in high school, a long time ago, the process was literally the same. So there, there needs to be some, some disruption in that space because I'll just go to a website, buy it and have it delivered. I'm not going to do that process again. So from that standpoint, if you can truly be disruptive, I totally see how people aren't going to want to participate in the brick and mortar banks of the old. They're going to look for a simplified version of how to do something that's not gonna waste their time. What other future disruptions do you anticipate or what, what else can you share with us? Well, it's too early to share a lot with you on how to simplify all of that process when it comes to the financial institutions coming in. I think the safe banking on and off and on and off and federal legalization, uh, you know, we know that it's coming. They just don't know which is coming first. I think that's gonna make a lot more opportunity for us in the business. but. Uh, right now, our core focus is, is to help the current operators grow safely, grow compliantly, uh, and to be able to make sure that they can optimize their business and, uh, uh, and stay in business. So beyond that, I think there's going to be a lot, once that tender hits the marketplace, I think it's going to open up a lot of opportunity for us. Uh, but right now, when we look at uh, our own core uh, process for Simplify, uh, Josh, uh, we've been asked to go, to go down the road with hemp and the CBD offerings that way because there's an awful lot of compliance there. We expect federal legalization is going to create another whole overlayer of federal uh, uh, regulations that we're going to have to adhere to. Uh, we've been asked to go international beyond the, the United States when it comes to compliance uh, outside of the borders. So I think the opportunity is a greenfield. We just have to make sure that we uh, really focus on what our core competency is and don't compromise the quality of our product as we expand. And part of our series B is to be able to accelerate that. So we're excited about that. 
I, I could see farmers needing some compliance. I don't think they're that great at, at compliance, but they're probably good at, at farming <laughs> CBD and hemp and all of that. So looking forward to uh, some of the disruption you guys are going to be laying out. Um, so I think with that, we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Scott Daly. He's a chief revenue officer for Simplify. Uh, Scott, where can they find you at? You can find me at Scott at Simplify.com. Uh, and uh, you can also reach me if you need to at 815-861-8067. That's with me all the time. And I, I talk to clients all the time. And I look forward to chatting with anybody who's interested simplify.com all right i'm josh kincaid this is the talking hedge don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't and i'm out don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows Season 1 of Dope History is now available at DopeHistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.